It's season three of Ing Podcast, a production of Menno Media's Leader Magazine. What does it mean to authentically follow Jesus? And it might have been my own defiant ego, but I don't think so. I think it was God speaking that said, this place of death will be a house of life once again. So that vision, that prophetic imagination to turn this defeat and from the ashes to be resurrected felt like a God thing. Join us as we talk with people of faith who are creatively thinking, growing, and being. People who are reimagining and exploring what it means to enrich faith in a complex world. Our conversation begins now. Join us as we journey together. Welcome, friends, to Ing Podcast. I am excited today to be joined again by one of our Herald Press authors. I'm joined today by Todd Winward. Uh, Todd is the author of a book that came out all the way back in the fall of 2015 called Rewilding the Way. And at that time, uh, Todd was kind enough to visit the Penn State and State College community. We got to know each other just a little bit there. Um, learning about what he had written about rewilding the way the subtitle of that book was break free to follow an untamed God and some really powerful and incredible imagery in that book. I'm excited to have Todd here with us today because since that book, a whole lot has happened in his world and in his uh, ministry um, and in his watershed discipleship that he does uh, so uniquely. So Todd, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us on Ing podcast. Ben, thanks. It's a delight to be here. I was, I don't know, you crawled out of the woodwork from seven years ago and <laughs> found me to be someone to still speak to something. But yeah, I, I Absolutely. laugh. People uh, always are like, hey, when's your next book coming out? And I honestly say, well, first I'm going to try to live the values of my first book. <laughs> <laughs> so I've only written articles since then. Well, uh, for those who don't know you, who haven't had the pleasure of getting to know you uh, either before or since your book came out, how do you describe yourself these days? Wow. Well, you know, if they had those career aptitude things back in high school, I wouldn't have known what to put. Uh, (laughs) What I've learned is that I'm a serial social entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. that I like to imagine things that don't exist yet and then help them be manifest. But so oftentimes, like my, my, my son just cracks up when, she's, when he's like, when people ask what your dad does, what do you tell them? <laughs> so I laugh with him. But yeah, I've, on the back of my book, you know, it says something like, I'm an author, a father, a small-scale farmer, uh, a wilderness guide, a community activist, and a Mennonite minister. I'd say the small-scale farming, I wish I had been moving. I don't get to say that anymore. I'm just not really <laughs> a non-scale farmer. <laughs> and I am... Uh, I would say that I'm living in this tension between between the rewilding that I wrote about and reconstructing. Okay. There's almost a tension of the city and the wild in me, mm. uh, for sure, and thinking about what the world needs most from me, what I can do, and and what I have to do. I think mm. the you know the d- dilemma I put it forth in my book was clearly articulating that the Jesus path was a wild, subversive, transformational path. And yet we as a society have made it so tame. Yeah. But I myself was just as much as bondage and mortgage and a kid, a kid in college. And, you know, how do you be a middle-class bougie dad and try to live a wild, ferocious, transformative life? That was my 
my own thesis, and I'm still trying to walk that path, but I'm, I'm much more shackled <laughs> to the worries of the world now than I was then. Well, I love, um, as a fellow ordained Mennonite minister, I love that you're out there in, in the Wild West as uh, someone ordained in uh, watershed discipleship. Uh, we had a uh, previous guest on Ing podcast, uh, Mike Martin, who is ordained by your same conference, right, yeah. in, uh, in uh, blacksmithing and, uh, and the transformation of guns into garden tools. And uh, I just think it's so wonderful that... Um, that your Mennonite context out there has said, look, these are not traditional uh, ministerial callings that we have named and claimed in our tradition, but we are going to name and claim them now as people think outside the box about uh, ways to reimagine what faith and community and church can be. Um, so I'm glad to have you here. I think it fits well with uh, what Ing Podcast is striving to be as well. Yeah, I, I have to say that that was just a real gift from um, both Jaime and Herm, who were the co-moderators of the time, I do want to put a fine distinction on that we, I am not ordained, but rather licensed. Okay. <laughs> so that means that they were able to say, we recognize you doing something. Your ministry here is powerful, special, and should be recognized. Yeah. But we're not giving you more training, and we're not ordaining you for other congregations or, or um, conferences and such but we're licensing you to be overly that. Of course, it comes with no money, (laughs) very little audience bandwidth, but it it does give me the opportunity to bug people across the conference about place-based despair erasing, earth-honoring kind of Christianity. And yeah, Mike is a great ally, and it's amazing that the conference witnessed and saw that. So yeah, the kind of what is Mennonite, what are Mennonites today? What is Anabaptism today? I think the fresh voice of Ng and the fresh voice of this conference are are aligned in many ways. Mm, good. So you have this book, Rewilding the Way. It's been out for a little while now. Uh, Ing Podcast wasn't around when your book came out, or maybe we would have interviewed you then. But um, what do you what do you share about people who are curious about this book project? Mm, well, I mean, it truly, I would say the first third of the book uh, lays out the the stark, both both full of possibility and full of crisis, the era that we live in, and how co-opted Christianity has become, how, how this path of a radical Christ has become tamed and commodified. And of course, Anabaptism early on said that Constantine was the apostate, you know, that there is a primitive and, and radical Christianity. And I, I would just have to say that the early Anabaptists were why I chose to become a Mennonite mm. as an adult. I, I didn't know people when I grew up, but I was influenced by that. And the radical reform movement culturally really resonated. And so I felt like I was living into that tradition a bit. And But in it's interesting, seven years ago, I was just beginning to voice the term watershed discipleship, mm. I was just beginning to be working with uh, a nationwide allyship around our mentor, Ched Myers, who coined the term watershed discipleship, but what we would call a more radical Christianity. Um, and began, and then the la- the middle of the book talks about attributes to to live a wilder way. So things mm. like embracing the insecurity, the idea of living the questions, of the idea of pivoting and working with change, the idea of trusting and and working from an inner authority. So much of our external authorities tell us how to live, and. I hope that a, a life centered in God and, and Jesus allows us to have an inner authority that makes us be 
outwardly transformative. And so that was just my own. I had a lot of life examples, starting an outward bound style wilderness and farm school with my wife, and then starting Tilt, the Taos Initiative for Life Together, um, are some of the case studies that I used, and I tied in biblical examples to that. So that would be a, a maybe too long summary of my book. <laughs> no, I, I really appreciated it. And, uh, and it, I, I was struck with your story enough, I guess, to uh, send you a Facebook friend request, which was how I learned about the story since then, too, um, and all that has happened, especially really since the pandemic arrived. And um, and I'd love to hear a little bit more, as much as you're willing to share, about um, the the really tragic experience that you had there at Tilt. Um, I, I'm forgetting if you said it, but Taos Initiative for Life Together, that's the acronym, um, an intentional community that you helped to create. Um, you experienced something uh, quite uh, un unlike what you were expecting uh, uh, a few years ago here now. Well, then I guess I'll just take one sentence more to bridge from the book to now. Yeah. I mean, to, the, to that story is just that, um, you know, I... I was very influenced when I visited Ched Myers in person, a mentor of mine who developed the term watershed discipleship, when he cautioned and he said, Todd, we have lots of writers and thinkers. We need more demonstration projects of the kingdom. Hmm. And that has, I mean, I was living, I was already leaning into that, but that just confirmed that there aren't more words that are needed as much yeah. as more deeds and, and really dreamers and imagination. And I, I seem, because I was, raised playing Dungeons and Dragons and camp counseling. Those are my two, honestly, my two professional influences. I believe <laughs> I believed I could build worlds. And so I did. Yeah. And I found that people resonate with imaginative spaces. And I think it's probably creative prophetic imagination that we're lacking the most in the world mm. right now to imagine what a positive future <laughs> to have yeah. hope still to face the sober consequences of our climate crisis and economic divides and, and racial tensions and dream of something better. And so Tilt is an incubator for personal change and systemic change. We want to take the idea of Gandhi and put it in our watershed of being, being the watershed we want to see in the world. Hmm. And so I do a lot of multicultural earth honoring, um, honoring of traditions and Hispanic agriculturalists for centuries here. Uh, as well as native Pueblos. They still exist here in New Mexico. We have 19 vibrant Pueblos up and down the Rio Grande. And as a Christian settler, I need to learn how to live well with those people as guests. And so I do a lot of decolonizing work. I do a lot of welcoming. Uh, and we hope to have this place that we call Tilt uh, be inhabited as a, a church for all nations, as a place for all people. And we found this rundown 13-room hand-built adobe from the 1930s that we started fixing up. And it's not an intentional community, but it is a community of intention. Mm. And we try to have people have an intention about how they want to change their lives or how to change society around them. So it's a contemplative, active space that we hope is part catechesis and seminary and part street activism and part personal growth in the wilderness. So that's been the hub. And we've had several people, uh, small batches, a, a small batch artisanal uh, space for personal transformation. And so we had some young people here in a residency 
And one of them was a young woman who had lived with us for a year and had a really hard history in life, a lot of trauma and triggers. And unfortunately, an unhealthy ex-boyfriend came around and started stalking her Mm. and ended up shooting through her window inside, inside our house and then came back. Well, I guess I'll tell the story in that I encountered him outside and I had the working knowledge of his name and we had a two minute conversation outside and it was clear he was essentially wanting to be with Holly and I had no idea he had a gun. And I said, well, if you're going to come courting, you better come knock on the back door. And I said, Holly, Elijah's here. And at that point I heard a crack and it turned out to be a gunshot through a window. Mm. So that then we were at the police station reporting about the shooting when the detective looked at his pager and said, I'm sorry, we have to interrupt this interview because your house is on fire. Mm. (laughs) So that was two and a half years ago. And we haven't moved fully back into our house since then. So the double whammy of COVID, well, triple whammy of COVID, plus being a lot of trauma and triggers from that fire, and then supply chain uh, and and the and the de- demolition and reconstruction has just been an ongoing slog, to be honest, Ben. Yeah. <laughs> As it has taxed my faith, my perseverance, uh, and my optimism. I I've appreciated your transparency. I mean, all of those things have been on display, uh, how taxing it's been, but also that you continue to see some glimmers of new life there as well. Um, at least in what you're sharing, um, in some social media spaces, um, off, off mic, we were talking about this transition from rewilding to rebuilding. Um, how, how are those two things related? Uh, did you learn skills in the rewilding stage of your life to allow you to transition into this rebuilding or is it really just throw out the playbook and, and start, start something from scratch? (laughs) And I use the word rewilding metaphorically. Sometimes people confuse me with someone who has integrity, (laughs) someone who lives out all of his values or something, you know, it's like, no, no, I, I aspire to rewild my consciousness and to unshackle myself But I got to say, I am in such freaking huge debt from Mm. this remodel, this, that I am a wage slave junk. Like I I need to monetize everything now when past, I felt so liberated from (laughs) American capitalist economy and such. Um, But I'm so I can't say that I've learned skills that (laughs) capture, but I, I would say the, the notion of building for the generations. This has been a, mm. a radical, I feel like I've been arguing with an avocado for months and months for not being ripe. Mm. <laughs> come on. Yeah. Get right, and the time will come. And funny, Ben, I'm, I'm finding out that Todd's will is not always God's will. I, I don't know. <laughs> Isn't that interesting? <laughs> I don't know how that happened, but suddenly <laughs> a lot of my wishes are not coming true on the timeline that I want them to. And, yeah. and so I'm feeling like things are, this is the irony is, I feel like things are happening to me, but more importantly, things are happening through me that I can't control. And all I can do is let go. I mean, there's a lot of 12 step 
addict energy uh, and the serenity prayer is coming up all the time of God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, the courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Mm. That, that's tried and true wisdom from the 12-step movement, and it's it's showing my addictions to needing to be in control or in the know or at least to manage something. And something huge is being moved through me, Ben, like that I don't even... Uh, I didn't even want. It's yeah. it's almost like it's almost like we had the idea that the rebuild would be an orange, an apple to an orange, and then I thought I would be really tricky and bold and maybe make something the size of a grapefruit. And it was as if God came down and said, "Nice beginning, Todd. We'll take it from here." <laughs> and just, like I'm just midwifing, so I'm just getting ripped apart in terms yeah. of my own small ego. But something magnificent is emerging. It is now like if you've seen on on my postings, like. It's a temple. It's a yeah. it's a gener- it's a hundred year decisions we're making, and I'm I'm fascinated with how will this place be used long after I'm gone. Yeah. And so I've I've sunken. I've decentered. Whether I like it or not, my ego has been decentered <laughs> to almost get out of the way to let something. It feels almost like a modern Noah's Ark. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, what am I saving for the future generations? What if when the when society breaks down a lot more, what if this becomes a postmodern monastery for the ages? Like, yeah. that's kind of where I'm going in a meta way. <laughs> the 500th anniversary of Anabaptism in 2025 gives the church a unique opportunity to celebrate and dream. Menno Media invites you to celebrate and dream with us as we embrace this anniversary's hope and possibility by creating fresh, forward-looking resources for Anabaptism's quincentenary celebration. Each resource will offer spiritual inspiration, connection, education, and invitation to the Anabaptist community and to the broader Christian church. To learn more about Anabaptism at 500 or how to contribute your story to these resources, visit anabaptism at 500.com. Trauma and how it relates to our understanding of God's voice in our life does different things for us at different times. And I'm fascinated by this decision from you and your community to say, you know what, even though this horrific thing has happened, we are going to try and put our roots back down into the same spot. Can you speak a little bit about that? You could have easily said, look, God is telling us to pack our bags and, you know, close up shop, go somewhere else. Uh, we are being chased from this, this land. Um, and yet you, you chose to say, no, we are here and we are recommitting ourselves to this, um, hunk of earth. On, on, on two levels. Yeah. On one is that there was, and it might've been my own defiant ego, but I don't think so. I think it was God speaking that said, this place of death will be a house of life once again. Mm, mm. So that vision, that prophetic imagination to turn this defeat and from the ashes to be resurrected felt like a God thing. Mm, and so yeah. that, was, that was one part of me listening to that. But when you spoke of my community, I'm particularly going to speak about my wife, who is my most intimate community. And she and I are the ones who own the building and are the most affected, both in positive and negative ways, about what we do next. 
And she, I must admit, is not as much of a visionary or a dreamer as me. And she's slower to imagine what she mm-hmm. can't see. And so it's it's been a lot of strain on us, but also wonderful. And the question that she has boldly had to ask is, can I keep my heart open to the community? Mm-hmm. Can we, even though we've been hurt, can we stay raw and open and trusting and and inv- invitational? The tendency in COVID for, I think, for a lot of people is to close themselves yes. off, make make the gates, you know, collect our toys and have some privilege and close off to the scary world. And it's constantly there for both of us. But think about that enclosed mind that always is looking for the next security alert, always is paranoid about what might happen. And I don't want to live in fear like that. Mm-hmm. I want to live with my heart wide open, even though it's been broken. So it's a really wild time for many of us to keep our hearts open, even when we've to be broken open, to say this isn't about me, but what is God doing in the change? So this is the rewilding part that still feels wild, even as I'm building a bougie <laughs> personal yeah, yeah. thing. Like, you know, I keep I keep thinking about moving personal wealth to commonwealth, and I think for privileged modern day. Christians, they have to be thinking about divesting in one way or another. I don't want to give up my power or my money, but I do want to share it in a in a big open feast table, like open yeah. table communion. So building a beautiful place, investing our money and time into this place has been our choice, but it feels like a choice every day to stay open and trusting instead of closed off, fearful and anxious. And it doesn't take... Uh gunshots and a fire for for community life to to make people close up either right like you there there are lots of people who try it for a while and think you know that's enough for me you've you've experienced even more and have said yes to continuing on which is which is so interesting don't get me wrong we're, we're not some commune we're you know in the early days i was all into equity sharing and like we can do this to let's let's have sign eight people sign on a contract like no yeah. none of that I'm I'm very much into private ownership and and then sharing those resources from a clarity position that we're not expecting people to grow old and raise children in our yeah. in the house but rather it's a brief moment of time for transformation yeah but mm-hmm. ironically even that we've had to pivot and it may be that we're turning into an Airbnb that is a conscious hotel. Yeah. Uh, rather than what we used to do. We need to make make revenue as well. It seems like a posture uh, adjustment um, mm. from security to being open to the possibilities of, you know, where, where this journey might lead you. Yeah, and it's uh, also the other way around. Like, the, I used to just be open, and now I'm needing to think more about security. Yeah, right. Uh, too. Like, and kind of know that that's part of God's plan, too, I think. Not just mm-hmm. being so so open and available all the time. Mm. Can we talk a bit about um, glimmers of hope for the future? Uh, what's exciting to you about, about uh, recommitting to this space and, and imagining what the possibilities are moving forward? Yeah, well, I would say that what's exciting me right now is the strange pivot to seemingly a crass commercial platform like Airbnb, it mm. actually offers experiences these days as a portal. And so it's like international advertising and promotion that might take me 15 minutes to yeah. put, a port, put a profile together and then to, to 
uh, platform my allies when people come to me for residency and I say, I happen to know Kevin Whitefeather at Taos Pueblo who's been an addict and he's a community elder and he'd like to share with you about his journey. And Daniel Herrera who uh, has is involved with repurposing plastic and Chris Peeper who is doing regenerative agriculture. And so like platforming and sharing this is what Tilt has always aspired to, but we're way out here in the Wild West for all of you in the back end. <laughs> it's been really hard to find an audience, frankly, to come to Tilt and see what we have. And yeah. ironically, working and pivoting and almost in a shamanistic uh, Bronco wrestling sort of way, this may be a new invitation by God to do something that I never imagined through a vehicle mm. I never imagined. <laughs> oh, I love that. To, I love that. To offer conscious conscious retreats, vacations, tours, immersions. We've got a high school group from Eastern, Eastern Mennonite High School is coming next month to spend a five-day experience called How Then Shall We Live? Wow. And we, we take this. So this has been my role after an author is I've gotten enough bandwidth that a few groups, Mennonite men's group has come. And so we take them to the earth ships, the you know, made out of mud and pla- and trash and plastic bottles and their hobbit homes built in the desert that are Noah's arcs for today's world. We take them to other simple living uh, colonies out here. We take them to the Pueblo. We take them to uh, Cuesta trailer park that's trying to transform. And we offer them examples of how to live and then mm-hmm. come back and eat food together and say, how did that impact you? So it's an experiential education, a catechesis at the highest level. And I hope more people would come and see, as Jesus would say, there's something interesting here. I love that. Uh, Todd, for those who want to know more, uh, Tilt has a pretty robust website. Uh, where do you direct people to, to learn more about uh, this unique space that you're trying to create? Well, right now, Tilt has a robust museum-like website. <laughs> it has not been touched in three years. I, I've had some... Trauma and discernment and indecision, but it, it is taustilt.org, T-A-O-S for Taos, New Mexico, and then T-I-L-T.org. So taustilt.org is the website. My name is Todd Winward at gmail.com is my address. So it's all one word. You can find me that way. And this is a unique thing that I don't often get to do, but uh, since this is kind of a two-part episode and we've got the participants in our next episode of Ink Podcast. Um, maybe you can tell our listeners why they should hang around here uh, for the next part of our conversation. Um, Todd's going to join us again, but we've got uh, a friend as well here uh, who actually just just walked in. So we're <laughs> we're uh, really excited to have uh, Daniel Rhino Herrera here with us on Ink Podcast. Um, can you guys share a little bit about what you're hoping to talk about in the second half of our conversation? Ben, um, I think, you know, in the first podcast here, we seem to be focusing on rewilding and then reconstruction. Yeah. Um, and I, so reconstruct ing. And so in terms of the ings of what this podcast is about, a little bit of what, what Rhino and I do together through Tilt is, is we do a lot of what we call replacing ourselves, learning to be people of place. We work on the watershed way together. And then we especially work on repurposing plastic and repurposing lives. And so those are the themes I thought that Rhino would join us in on is repurposing. So I do a lot of re and ing, I think. <laughs> yeah. 
Perfect. Uh, rewilding, replacing, rewiring, and rewiring. Rewire. So <laughs> awesome. Friends, we, uh, we're so glad you were here listening to this episode, but please stay tuned. Next week, we'll have more. Um, come back for more conversation with Todd and with Rhino. Thanks for listening. As always, we'd like to thank our guests and all who support Ing Podcast. Thank you for joining us on the journey. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a review in your favorite podcasting app. And if you have something to share, send us a message at theing at menomedia.org or by leaving us a voicemail. Ing Podcast is hosted by Reverend Allison Moss and produced by me, Ben Weidman. Views and opinions expressed on Ing Podcast are those of our hosts and guests and may not represent that of Leader Magazine or Menno Media. Ing Podcast is a production of Menno Media, a nonprofit publisher that creates thoughtful Anabaptist resources to enrich faith in a complex world. To find out more, visit us online at menomedia.org.